Well, I was kind of waiting for intro music, but I didn't hear any, so there we go. I'll take that. <laughs> I'll take that. Round one. <laughs> oh, well, I'll apologize to the kids. I know you'd rather be in class yourselves, but I hope some of the things we'll talk about will be helpful to you. And especially as you're young, developing habits in your life that I think might be really valuable. Hey, let's begin with this. We're, we're talking about our fellowship with God, but let's begin with this observation. When you hear the word relationship, how do you view that? Um, is, is, do you view that as an objective matter or a subjective matter? And, and I'll tell you the difference in the two. Do you think of it, an example, I uh, see a guy with a girl and they look like they're kind of getting serious at church, college student. And I'll say, hey, are, how is your relationship? And they may answer that, one or, one or the other, might answer that there's no relationship. And that could have one of two meanings. It could mean we are in a relationship, but it's not going well. No relationship. Or it could mean we don't even have a relationship. We're, there's no mutual understanding between us at all. There is the idea of it being objective. Are you in a relationship? And that would mean are you tied to somebody? Versus how is your relationship? Put another way, is your relationship quantitative or is it qualitative? Does it exist at all? And if it does exist, is it a good relationship? Or are you having difficulty in that? I, I want to talk about that in terms of our relationship with God. You can't have a good relationship with God without first being in a relationship with God. I mean, people, sometimes people think they can have a relationship with God without having committed to that. You, you can't enjoy the benefits of marriage if you don't have a wedding. You can't have the benefits of a relationship with God without having first surrendered your life to Jesus Christ. That's the first statement that I think has to happen. We are related to each other First of all, because we, uh, we have a good relationship with each other. First of all, because we are related to each other. First of all. But the fact that we're related to each other doesn't necessarily mean it's a quantity or quality relationship. It may exist, but it may not be a good one. Is that making sense by way of beginning? Okay. So it's real important, first of all, you can't have the experiential relationship without the objective relationship you can't have if i can put it another way you can't have communion without having first union you can't share in a relationship if the relationship doesn't exist first with god and with jesus so in this lesson, I'll just tell you up front, what, what I want to do in this lesson is talk with you about 
the union that we have with God. What that means to have union relationship with God. And then we'll talk about how that develops into a quality relationship with God, how we can make that better. So it's, it's more than just the wedding. It's also living together in marriage. It's more than just being baptized into Christ. It's how to further that relationship with Him. I'll give you some what I hope are some practical tips that might be helpful to you in that. So let, let's first begin with this. We share... Christ's life. We are sharing the life of Christ. We share in that with him. 1 Corinthians chapter 1 verse 9 says this. 1 Corinthians chapter 1 verse 9. It says, God is faithful through whom you were called into koinonia, fellowship with his son, Jesus Christ, our Lord. When we are called into koinonia or fellowship with Jesus, here's what it enables us to be able to do. Verse 8, we go up a verse. Who will confirm you to the end, blameless in the day of our Lord Excuse me, Jesus Christ. How does that work? Well, Ephesians chapter 5, verse 30 says we become members of his body. Uh, we're, not just, we're not just owned by him. We become part of him. Peter put it, we become partakers of the divine nature. And, and may I tell you that word partakers is also a variation on the word koinonia. We share in the divine nature. I don't think there's anything miraculous about that, but there's something almost mystical about that. <clears throat> in fact, that's the way Paul describes it in Ephesians chapter 5. I speak of this mystery. It's something that is difficult for us to understand until God reveals it to us. So the, the idea here is, example, my foot doesn't just belong to me. It is part of me. It's, it's part of me. Uh, it, it isn't, well, of course that's Ralph's foot. If it were cut off, God forbid, and laying out somewhere, somebody wouldn't look at it and go, I, I know that foot, that's Ralph's foot. He owns it. It's got his name underneath, you know, you're taught to write your name on everything so that if you misplace it, you'll have it. It's got his name on there. If lost, return to Ralph Walker. It isn't that. It's not just that I own it. <clears throat> it's that it's part of me. It becomes part of what I am. And we are the same, have the same relationship with Jesus Christ. We are partakers. We have koinonia of the divine nature. We have become part of Jesus. We aren't just owned by him. We have taken on his flavor. And that's really important in this union because, look, I'm not, I'm not just a Christian primarily because I act like one. 
I hope I do. Or because I talk like one, though I hope I do. Uh, I am primarily a Christian because I am in Christ. It's that that precedes everything else. I am in Christ. I am part of Christ. And all the other things will follow as a result of that one fact. And I will tell you, that imparts a power to me to do the things I need to do as a Christian, as a disciple of Jesus. In John chapter 15, one of the greatest passages ever, the vine and the branches passage, Jesus says, I'm the vine, you're the branches, we are in him. And he says, apart from me, you can do nothing. Rip a branch off a vine, and what can it do? Nothing. Now, you might, if you're a horticulturalist, you might be able to replant that and get it going in some other way. But in and of itself, it has absolutely no power at all. And in the same way, as a Christian, I've got to be in Christ and remain in Him. He uses the word abide in me and I in you. Abide in me, for apart from me you can do nothing, he says. So it's important for me to be working on the things that help me remain in Christ. To further develop that relationship with him so that it becomes stronger. The, the guarantee for success is not in the branches, but in the vine itself. So we must abide in Christ. I'm, I'm, I'm going to tell you what all that means in a moment. You may say, okay, well, you're telling me that, but what does that mean? We're going to get to that, how we do that in practical terms. But I'm trying to stress to you, this is not simply a matter any more than it is in a wedding. You're married, now just go do what you want. <laughs> I mean, any, any wedding that has that conclusion from the couple is destined for failure. I, um, I've done weddings, many weddings for young people, and I, I love their enthusiasm. I love their optimism about this. I mean, I've I've done premarital counseling before where I've had, I said, well, I want to talk to you about conflict resolution. How, you know, I want to talk to you about that because I think it's important for you to understand that. And they go, oh, we don't need that. We're not going to fight. And I say, well, you're going to live apart? Or is one of you dying soon? Because if you're together, you're going to have conflict. I mean, that's a natural thing. But they come and they say, they, they say oh, we're as, we're as happy and compatible and right for each other as we are ever going to be. And I say, no, you're not. You're about to learn what it means to live together with somebody else of a different nature. It's more than the wedding. And so it's more than just, I put on Christ in baptism as some of you have done recently. I've put on Christ in baptism. The rest of my life's a breeze now. I'm there. I'm there. No, you're not there at all. You have so much to do to grow in that relationship. And I don't mean that to sound discouraging to you. I think, in fact, that should be an exciting challenge. 
You're just beginning an incredible walk with the Lord. So this idea, we have to abide in Him. It is not a passive relationship. In Colossians chapter 2, verses 6 and 7. Therefore, listen, as you have received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in Him. Notice that? You received Him, now walk in Him. And what's the harder part? The, the walking in Him, because it's daily. I mean, you were probably taught a lot to get to the point of receiving him, but that was a punctiliar moment. I received him when I died to myself, and I was buried the old person, and I rose to walk in newness of life. That was a moment in your life. Now, walk in him. And then, verses 7, having been, listen to the words, firmly rooted and now being built up in him and established in your faith, just as you were instructed and overflowing with gratitude. Listen to those words. I mean, when you put a plant in your soil, you've got a garden and you put a plant there, it takes time for the roots to grow. It takes time for it to build up itself. And sometimes you have to establish it, maybe even uh, making it firm with some cords and some stakes around it or some uh, trellises that it has to climb. All those things are a long process that Colossians says, you received him, now the work begins. You've got to do that. So the body of Christ, we members, the body of Christ says as its mantra, I need Thee every hour. I, I can't. I love the phrase, I dare not take one step alone. The idea of I need my Lord all the time. I've got to get in that mindset. I need the Lord every single Hour. So Philippians chapter 4 and verse 13, I can do all things, but how? Through him who strengthens me, he says. And in Colossians chapter 1, verses 28 and 29, we proclaim him. We admonish every man, teaching every man, so that we may present every man complete in Christ. For this purpose also I labor, striving according to his power, which mightily works in me. Listen to the strong terms used in that. This is no easy, easily assimilated thing. This takes work, sweat, tears, toil, blood to live this life in Christ. It is not easy. And once I have that union with him, that tight rootedness with him, now let's talk about how we develop that koinonia as communion. What does it look like qualitatively? How can I develop deep relationship with the Lord? Not just initial relationship, but deep relationship with him. Because my Communion is good based on my union with him. 
So, let me give you some practical suggestions, I hope, that might help you. Number one, develop an all-day koinonia. I'm going to read a couple of verses with you from the Old Testament that I think really illustrate what we're talking about. I'm in Isaiah chapter 26. Isaiah 26, and I'm looking at verse 9. Isaiah 26, verse 9. At night, my soul longs for you. Indeed, my spirit within me seeks you diligently. For when the earth experiences your judgments, the inhabitants of the world learn righteousness. Listen to those phrases again. At night, my soul longs for you. Listen to the, listen to the word, longs. Not just, I think about you. I have this earnest desire, even in the night, when I lay my head on my pillow, I long for you, Lord. I want you there. And my spirit seeks you diligently. Seeks you diligently. Picture that as a mother looking eagerly for a child that's missing. In proximity, but missing. How does a mother do that? Does she say, oh, where'd my son go? Oh yeah, let's talk about that recipe that you were telling me about. That I want to get more about that. It sounds delicious. Tell me, I wonder where he went. Um, We'll find him later. You keep telling me. You know, that's, not, that's not seeking diligently, is it? Nobody would think of it that way. What would diligently seeking look like? Oh, my child's missing. Everything stopped. Everybody, join me. We're looking. We're looking under the pews. We're looking in the closets. We're looking in the hall. We're looking in the classrooms. Get outside. Look outside. Check the road. We're looking. We will not quit until what? We found him. We found him or her. My soul, my spirit seeks you diligently. That's a great passage, but the one that I just love. And uh, some time ago, some people put, it, put this together in a, an a cappella song that was just a beautiful rendition. It's a little complex for churches to be singing, so I don't hear it much. But I want you to listen to the words of Psalm 63, the first eight verses. And, and you can turn there. I'm, it's fine if you want to turn there. But I will tell you, I think you're going to get more out of it if you just kind of focus and listen. We've kind of lost that art. You know, what we're doing today and what, we, what I've been telling you to do could have never been done in a first century church. Never. No first century preacher ever said, and if you will, turn to this passage. They never said that. You learned the Word of God orally. It was given orally, and you learned it orally. That was the only way you got it. And think about how that would change the way we interact in our sermons if we did more oral reception of the Word and less orbital reception of the Word. Listen to this. Listen. 
Oh God, you are my God. I shall seek you earnestly. My soul thirsts for you. My flesh yearns for you in a dry and weary land where there is no water. I've seen you in the sanctuary to see your power and your glory because your loving kindness is better than life. My lips will praise you. I'll bless you as long as I live. I will lift up my hands in your name. My soul is satisfied as with marrow and fatness, and my mouth offers praises with joyful lips. When I remember you on my bed, I meditate on you in the night watches, for you've been my help, and in the shadow of your wings I sing for joy. My soul clings to you. Your right hand upholds me. Isn't that beautiful? Could, could David have been more in love with his God? I mean, some of these phrases are they're almost so intimate, they're embarrassing to think about. I love how every phrase in these first eight verses are about passionately seeking relationship with God. Now, give you a, a, a disclaimer and something that might help you understand a little better what I'm referring to. I don't think David's words indicate I don't think about anything else all day long. All I think about is God. He ruled a nation. You can't very well do that if, you, if every time somebody says, hey, enemies are on the border, I'm sorry, I'm, I'm thinking about God. I'm sorry, I don't have time for that. Um, we need to collect taxes. I'm sorry, I told you, I'm praying right now. Would you leave me alone? You can't rule a nation that way. And I don't think we are called on to live our lives that way. I don't think that's what's being discussed here. But I'll tell you what I think he is discussing. Have you ever, if you've ever dieted, do you know how you don't think about food? I know you may say, no, I do. But you don't think about food 24 hours a day. But when you're not thinking about other things, you think about food. If you're on a diet. So you're driving all of a sudden, you see a billboard, and you go, man, that muffin looks good. Or a Hershey bar. How long has it been since I've had a Hershey bar? Look at that. Your mind turns to food when you're not preoccupied with somebody else. I really experienced that I've, when, when my daughters got married. Paula and I have three daughters. All of them got married within four years. You should be crying for me. <laughs> Three weddings in four years. I don't know which was more broke, my heart or my wallet, but both of them were pretty busted. But as my girls were getting ready for their weddings, they and my wife, I couldn't think about it. It's painful. They loved it, and they were planning all that, and they were so excited. By the way, I'll give this disclaimer. I love my sons-in-law. 
I love them so much it, when I had a ringtone for all three of them. It was the good, the bad, and the ugly. <laughs> but when the girls were ready to get married, everything kind of came back to the impending wedding. We'd be driving somewhere and they'd see a billboard and go, oh, that color, that's the color I want for the flowers, for the flower girls. You know, oh, that's, oh, that song. I want that song when so-and-so's coming in. Or, or we'd just be randomly talking about something else and they'd go, oh, oh, I forgot. I want to make sure we have this food at the reception. It wasn't that they talked about it all the time, but when their minds weren't occupied with something important, it went back to what was on their heart. Is that making sense to you? Listen, that's the way I want to be with God. That's the way I want to be with God. I, I, and not that I can't talk about other things and I can't enjoy other things, but when my mind isn't occupied with those other things, I want to naturally return to thinking about God. Dallas Willard put it this way. I love this expression, this phrase. Listen, he said, Does our mind spontaneously return to God when not intensely occupied? As a needle of a compass turns to the north when removed from nearer magnetic sources. You know, you can take a needle of a compass and you can take a magnet and you can pull the needle away. You can direct it away. You can turn it due south. You can make it go east or west. You can pull it with a close needle, a close magnet. But what happens when you pull the magnet away? It goes back to the north, doesn't it? Automatically. Pull it away. Hey, I need to deal with this at work. Okay. And now I've dealt with that problem and I'm on my way home. Back to God. Hey, we got a problem at the house with one of the kids. We'll deal with it. Pull the needle, pull it away. Needle goes back north. That's the way I want to be with God. That's the way I think David was with his God. So all day, all day, I want to work on thinking about God at different times. And there are some times when we may need to think about him more often. You know, for a while there was a, uh, uh, this, all the rage was this, uh, these bracelets, WWJD. What would Jesus do? What would Jesus do? And that was a good reminder. People wore them bracelets. You know, what would Jesus do? In this situation, what would Jesus do? I, th I thought it was a good reminder. I liked the idea. I was preaching at a congregation as a guest, like I am here. And I, I guess I used a number of illustrations through the week. And I happened to mention liking the WWJD idea. And on the last night of the meeting, there was a young person came to me and they said, hey, we, we heard you saying how much you like the WWJD idea, so we got you something. And I said, oh, that is so nice. What is it? And they said, it's a, uh, it's a keychain for your key for your car. I said, well, that's interesting. He said, yeah, you use a lot of illustrations about how mad you get on the road. <laughs> Yeah, what would Jesus do? You know, what would Jesus do? I need to think about that. 
When my mind is not occupied with more immediate things, I need to turn to God all day. And let's begin with the morning. You know, uh, somebody said there are two kinds of people in the world. There are those that get out of bed and they say, Good morning, Lord! And others that get out of bed and say, Good Lord, morning. (laughs) What kind of person are you? Do you think about the Lord first thing in the morning? There are times when I go through periods and and I, I feel like I need to work on this. And so before I get out of bed, I'll sing a song in my mind. I won't sing it out loud. I'm married. I want to stay that way. You know. But I will sing a song in my mind, a spiritual hymn, before I get out of bed. I, I love the idea of starting my day thinking about God. You know, we're, we're in a culture right now where the first thing most of us do in the morning, statistically, is what? Reach for our phones. We're looking at our phones. We're getting that, we're getting that endorphin hit. You know, has somebody, has somebody texted me? Is there something important here? Have I got some emails? What have I got? What have I got? I'm looking, looking, looking. I'm on Facebook. Anybody respond to my post yesterday? May I, may I tell you, that is nowhere near as profitable as thinking about God first thing in the morning. Put the phone away until you've thought about God. Maybe even talked to God. Psalm 5. And verse 3, Psalm 5, verse 3, In the morning, O Lord, you will hear my voice. That'd be a good verse to put somewhere in your house, maybe on the mirror in the bathroom. That's the first place you go when you get up. In the morning, Lord, you will hear my voice. In the morning, I will order my prayer to you, I I like this, and I think there's a reason why he talks about ordering his prayer in the morning. He says, I will order my prayer to you and eagerly watch. You know, if you start the morning with the idea, God, I need a blessing today. God, I need an opportunity to serve today. God, I need somebody who needs me today. If you start your prayer in the morning with that, Don't you know you're more aware of looking for that through the day? And so things happen that maybe on other days you never thought about it. But now, now you're thinking that way. Um, I had um, an assistant when I was at Florida College. I was a public relations and alumni director there for almost 20 years. And one of my assistants there when she was living in another city before she came to be my assistant, uh, they had had a series on evangelism in her congregation, and they, they were talking about looking for opportunities. Look for opportunities. You never know where they are. And one day, uh, shortly after that, she was driving her vehicle, and she got pulled over by a policeman. And he, um, he went up and he said, Hey, I pulled you over because your, your windows are too darkly tinted. You can't have that dark a tent here in Florida. And she said, no, I know they're all right, because she says, I went to a place and had it done, and I asked them that very question. They said it's all right, and he goes, no, I think they're too dark. And she goes, no, no, you, and she said, it it dawned on her, you didn't pull me over for this tent. You pulled me over because you need to know about Jesus. And he said, well, no, no, I don't need to know. 
Yeah, I'm sure of that. That's the only thing that makes sense because my windows are not too darkly tinted. And he said, well, you know, my wife has been talking about looking for a church. So she studied with his wife, and she became a Christian. And shortly after, he did. Now, do you think that would have happened if she hadn't been looking for opportunities? I don't think so. She'd have probably gone home and complained that a cop pulled her over and harassed her about too dark a tent on her windows. I'm I'm persuaded if we started every morning praying to God, I will order my prayer in the morning and then I'm going to eagerly watch for the answer to my prayers. A lot more of our prayers would be answered because we would see those things happening for us. And I love the fact that in Mark chapter 1, verse 35, you will see this, and it's not just this one verse, but it, it happens over and over and over again in Mark. Verse 35, in the early morning while it was still dark, Jesus got up, left the house, and went away to a secluded place and was praying there. One verse talks about Jesus slipping away to pray. Slipping away. Can you see that? Can you see that? You know, a bunch of people are there, and Jesus suddenly, he just kind of walks over, and he's talking, and, and then he just kind of goes to a door and pushes it open, and he goes through, and he's gone. Where is he? Slipped off to pray. Jesus was looking to find opportunities to pray, and you know when he found them most often was early morning early morning so you can't sleep it's 3 a.m you just can't sleep maybe your spouse is snoring or there's noises going on in the house or you had a mountain dew at at 11 30 and why did you do that or a double espresso why did i do that and you're suffering with that and you get up what do you do what do you do when you get up i'll tell you what a lot of us have done we get up and go watch tv you just turn it on, find something. Andy Griffith reruns. The Waltons. We look for things to do instead of maybe doing what might be really valuable to us. Praying. If you can't sleep, get up and pray. Find throughout the day opportunities to praise and give thanks to God. In Psalm 25, Psalm 25 and verse 5, Lead me in your truth and teach me. You're the God of my salvation. Listen, for you I wait all the day. For you I wait all day. The day. I'm looking for God in all kinds of opportunities. In Psalm 37, verse 4, delight yourself in the Lord and he'll give you the desires of your heart. Find your delight in him, glorify him, love him. And songs can do that as much as scripture. Find songs that you can sing, put good music on your playlist. And when I say that, I'm not talking about classic rock. I'm not talking about country. I'm not even talking about classical music. All those have their place. 
but fill your mind and heart and ears with the things of God. Because our emphasis on doing for God cannot replace the need to just spend time with Him. I want you to imagine talking to a fan of some movie star or, or musical star or political figure, and, and then you go to them one day and you say, hey, hey, guess what? The person you admire the most, your hero or your heroine, is going to be in town this next week, and I got tickets, and you and I are going to be on the front row to hear this person or see this person or interact with this person. I got tickets, and that person responds, you know, I can't go. Why not? Well, I'm writing a biography about him or her, and I got to get it done, and I'm just going to be writing about how great they are, but I can't spend time with them. Does that, does that make sense to you? It doesn't to me. But I think sometimes we occupy so much of our lives with doing good. And doing good's great. Go about doing good. That's what the Lord did. But don't neglect to just spend time with Him. Just to be in His presence. And, and then the last thing, and we'll, this won't take long, sharing with God. What can I give Him? What can I have as a koinonia factor with him? What does he want from me? And I'll tell you what he wants most of all. He wants love. He wants us to love him. And that love manifests itself in obedience. If you love me, what? Keep my commandments. But I'll tell you, I'll tell you what else he wants. No time for us to talk about this at length, but Three passages you need to read on your own and think about. It's Ezra 9, Nehemiah 9, and Daniel 9. Those three chapters have three of the most powerful prayers of confession you'll find anywhere in the Scriptures. And, you know, the word confession means to say the same thing, to speak the same thing. What it means is, I say about my sins what God says about my sins. Not what I think. It's not a mistake. I'm so tired of hearing people who fall in sin and they talk about, I made a mistake. It was an error in judgment. No, it wasn't. It was a sin. It was a trespass. It was a transgression. It was a moral fall. Quit calling it a mistake like you tripped over something. Say about it what God says about it. Read those confessions and read how blunt they are. It's not just, Lord, forgive us our sins, plural. It's, Lord, we have disappointed you, and we have transgressed your will, and we have fallen in terrible ways, and you deserve to be angry at us, but we beg you to forgive us. I need to share with God honesty, transparency in my life. And God finally just longs to be with you. He longs for your companionship. He wants to share life with you. So make your heart a holy of holies. So as Jesus said in John 14, verse 23, I and my Father can come and dwell with you. You do those things. You have those features in your life. And you will now have something to share with others.
We'll close with that. Thanks for listening, and I hope those things are helpful to you. We'll stand dismissed.